GM, BM, give more, be more. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff is a retired professional hockey player and current owner of Ripped Hockey, where he works to develop elite hockey athletes online and in person at his gym in St. Louis. On this episode of the podcast, Jeff takes us behind his GMBM mindset and how this has led to him building his gym from two clients the first year he opened up to 300 plus every summer. He talks to us about how his professional hockey experience taught him how to keep the goal the goal when it comes to training and how his struggles with concussions have opened up a whole rabbit hole of training with the eyes and mind for injury prevention and performance. Jeff's an amazing guy with even better energy, and I know you guys will feel that in this podcast, and I really hope you guys get as much out of this podcast as I did. I got fired up from this one. Jeff always fires me up on Instagram. We've been going back and forth for a bit now, so hopefully you guys get as much out of this podcast as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the continued support. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app, it allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. Oh, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, bro. I'm, uh, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm really excited. I'm honored to be here. I obviously follow you on social media, and I absolutely love everything you put out. So uh, it's an honor for me to be here. Yeah, that's likewise. We've been going back and forth on social media for a long time now, and we started up season three. I'm like, all right, you were one of the top on the list. I'm like, let's get this done. Let's do this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So we were talking about a little bit about your background. So you, you have this pro hockey career. You have the, the injuries that came with the pro hockey career. And then you started the gym off of this. Can you give the listeners just a little bit of the background between how you started from where you started to how you got to where you're at and how people are looking at you now as this like big time coach on social media with all this like knowledge? Um, how did you go from the hockey player to this big time coach? Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately my, my professional career, uh, was, was kind of plagued with concussions. It was the only real injury that I couldn't play through. Um, you know, uh, and I had some bad ones. And after my third year professionally, um, where I got hit from behind and I wound up having like six small fractures in my jaw, my sinus blew out. I had some problems with my eyes from that concussion, which kind of sucked coming back from, I was like, man, I don't know when my career is going to be over. Probably maybe the next concussion is going to put me out and I'm going to have to retire. So I came home that summer and I went to college, Western Michigan university. I went there for exercise science. The only reason I got a scholarship 
scholarship. The only reason I was able to play college, the only reason I signed professionally was because I was so dedicated to the off ice component that it helped me pass guys who were better than me on the ice. So like I went to, I studied exercise science in college because I wanted to make myself better at hockey. Like <laughs> that was the only reason I was like, I want to learn all this shit so that I can be better on the ice. And um, so when, after that third year pro, and I got that last concussion, I was like, all right, I'm going to start a company in the off season to start training kids in St. Louis. And uh, the first year I had two clients, that was it. And uh, I was, I've been telling the story a lot because I've been getting into speaking engagements and I, I use the gym that I grew up training at. I charged $25 for a two hour session, like an hour and 45 minutes. Right. I only had two clients. I had to pay the gym. 33%. So I was making $9 an hour while I was a current professional hockey player, (laughs) devaluing myself. But anyways, I digress. Um, And so first year I had two clients, second year I had nine. And then I think the third year was like 13 and then it was 33 and then it was a hundred. And then I was working with like 300 players plus every summer for the next five years while I was still playing overseas in Europe through working camps. And they'd have bring me in as the strength coach. And I'd, I'd bring in high schools of like, you know, 40 kids and do stuff with them. And after my 10th year pro, I decided to retire and, and, and run my, my uh, ripped hockey full time. And I've been doing that for five years now. That's fucking awesome. The, the, the two clients, to, the 300 plus that you work with every off season, that, that's very, very similar to kind of our setup that we had at Yoakum Strength. One of the things yeah. that I wanted to touch on with you, you talked about you went to college and you were able to pass up all these people because you were so invested in the off ice stuff. And you went to college for this exercise science stuff and you studied exercise science because you wanted to get really good. Like you wanted to knowledge yourself. And that's something that I like, I, I, I totally relate to because that's the only reason I went into this too. I was like, dude, like I am not good enough if I don't go into the, I, I need to know all the nicks and crannies. And some part of that is it probably hurt me a little bit because I was so into like, like the why and the what and the pieces rather than just like blindly believe, like I was looking at some of the guys next to me, they would just run through a wall because they, they didn't know and they didn't care. So like going through, so I was like questioning probably a little bit too much. But that that I, I talk about this with coaches recently a lot is like that physical pursuit will drive you to be a better coach because we, you see all these coaches now. It's like they're so far they're in it, it's it's out of good intent. Like they want to be the smartest they can be and they, they, they want to dive into these things. But they're so far into the weeds of the studies and they're so far into the weeds of other stuff that they've never actually pursued anything physical. So they don't know if what they're doing in the weight room is applying or matters on the court or matters on the ice or matters in whatever sport or physical pursuit. So one of the advices, like piece of advice I tell all a bunch of young coaches, I'm a young coach myself, but younger coaches that are asking is like, you got to go pursue something physical and see if what you're doing like applies to real life. And that, that was something I thought was really, really awesome. And what you're talking about, where did you kind of see that? Like, did you, you, did you kind of experiment with those things? It's like, okay, well, the book is telling me this, but I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I think that's a huge thing with especially high level athletes like yourself. Like you get to see that firsthand, like these coaches are saying this, but it's not really what's happening. And how, how do you apply that to your coaching nowadays? Such a good question. And there were a couple of pivotal uh, uh, points in my career that really influenced all everything that I do now and the way that I trained when I was playing and the way that I continue to evolve the way I train athletes. Um, first, I got injured my first year of junior hockey halfway through the season. It was like game 33. 
Um, and I was too weak <laughs> to be playing at that level. I, I wasn't ready. Um, so I need, and I, I hadn't really, like, I liked working out, but I wasn't like obsessed with it. And I got hit in this really weird way. And my groin from a hit on the ice, my groin, uh, my adductor tore off the bone and uh, they didn't, because it's junior hockey, the team is being cheap. I know now looking back, they didn't give me an MRI. Like they got me an x-ray and that didn't show anything. They're like, I don't know why you don't feel good. I'm like, man, I can't even walk. I need crutches. Like what is going on? And it was brutal. And so literally the only advice that I was given is like, well, you can work out your upper body. So I worked out my upper body for 93 straight days. I didn't take a day <laughs> off 93. Days. I was at the rink every single freaking day. I got absolutely jacked upper body, like for what I was back then. You know, I think I went in at like maybe 180 and by year two, I was like 190 something. So, um, um, super high metabolism. So I put on a bunch of muscle and that gave me confidence and that, confidence made me play better and that started i was like whoa like i came back i got my first fight ever when i came back at the end of the season and that gave me and i, I i'm not like a fighter or anything but like it just i had so much confidence from the weight room and i was like man like i feel better on the ice i have way more confidence going into battles like i really like working out and then it was over like from then on from from that season on i got super into training and, uh, you know, I did listen what you're talking about. I listened to like the coaches, like I have a different philosophy than a lot of people. Uh, I'm way more, especially hockey. It's very dynamic. Um, I believe unilateral training is the king for most things. Um, that's my own personal philosophy. And I got to that point, um, right when I signed pro, I think I was in the airport and, uh, Somebody told me about Mike Boyle. Um, I think it was right when I turned pro, I played with a guy who had a shirt on that said body by Boyle. And I was like, what's that? I actually think I took it and I was working out in it and wearing it because it was like a comfortable shirt. No idea who it was that summer. I bought his book advances in functional strength training. And I was just my mind was like blown because I'd never really liked um, back squatting. I didn't like feel like I don't know. I just I just personally didn't like it. And I was like, you know, two feet on the ice, it's always one leg at a time. Mike Boyle's a big unilateral proponent. And I started reading his stuff and I started incorporating it into what teams were giving me. And then by like six months later, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna start training myself. And I did. And I was already winning off ice testing. And I was always like the strongest or, or one of the strongest, always the most fit. Cause I had to be. But then when I read Mike Boyle's book, it all started translating to my game. And that's when I was like, whoa, whoa, like, okay, I, I don't need to just do the traditional, what I call like football lifting in the nineties and eighties. Like I can do different things and it might translate better to the game of hockey. And it did. And that it was just ever since then, I've been obsessed with like finding different ways. Cause I, I pretty much only train hockey players. Um, I train some gen pop and I do it online, but like for the most part right now, my niche is elite hockey players. Hell yeah. Uh, first question. Do you, uh, do you have any before and afters from that 93 before the 93 <laughs> days and after the 93 oh, days? Oh man. I, I, every now and then I'll throw <laughs> my gram, like a picture from like middle school or early high school of me. And I was just a little pipsqueak, just straight bones, no muscle, no fat, no anything, but I don't have any, like, just like around, but I should, because it also just reminds me like, cause people are like now, and it's not like I'm I'm freaking huge or anything. Like I'm six two. I, now in my in being retired from hockey, I range between like two twelve to two twenty. I've been as high as two thirty, but I didn't feel good. My body doesn't carry weight 
that heavy well. So like 215, I feel great. And but people are like, you know, oh, it must be easy for you and blah, blah. I'm like, no, dude, like it took me years to get here and it's a grind and I have to stay here. And if I don't lift, I immediately shrink, you know, so I wish I had those pictures because just to prove to people like, no, man, it, anything is possible. Yeah, that that's awesome, and and the the pursuit, and that that's you talked about that addiction where you, like you came back and you were confident, and it's like okay, like that there's something here, and that that was the same for me. It was like I was kind of in this like freshman year of high school in this party scene, like hanging out with people that I probably shouldn't be hanging out with, and I, I got into the weight room, and like my the high school head coach at the time kind of took me under his wing and got me through, and then uh, I so I started lifting with him. He's like, you should do this instead of that, like start lifting. Um, and then I remember walking on the field after that, like freshman year, high school, sophomore year, high school, I was like, holy shit. Like I'm totally even human. Like you, you start to see the changes in the mirror too, but that confident piece is it, like, we talk to these X's and O's and there's, there's, there was 1 million better ways. And he'll admit it to our high school head coach because he's pretty open about like changing his philosophies, but 1 million better ways to train than what we trained back then, man. Like it was pretty brutal what we were doing, but the confidence and the psychological benefit that it gave you is was unmatched from anything else that we could have been doing. I mean, I think, I think the most important part for especially elite athletics where everybody at the bottom of the pyramid, when you're younger, like, yeah, there's going to be gaps between the best kids and like the worst kids. But when you get to those higher levels, like starting around high school and beyond um, the, the, the margin of error and the, the difference between player a and player B is, is very minimal. So if you're somebody who can find a way to be confident in whatever sport you're playing or business or life, you're going to perform better. You're going to trust your instincts, all these things. You're not going to second guess yourself. So if you can find a way to build confidence, you're going to play better. So like I always reverse engineer everything. I'm like, okay. And I do a lot of like advising calls for, for kids who are in slumps or pros, college athletes that are in slumps. And I'm like, let's reverse engineer. You play your best when you're confident. How do you build confidence? I think it's preparation. Now, what is preparation for me? That's training, sleeping, nutrition. What are you, what are you taking in as far as music, books, you know, podcast, YouTube, everything that's going into that, that brain of yours is going to affect how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. So if we can work on those building blocks, that, that is preparation, that is how you build confidence. And for me, training was always the biggest piece of that. I'm, I'm not a good sleeper. It's the worst thing in my my journey of, of training and all that stuff. And my brain just doesn't stop going. Um, but, but for me, training was always my edge. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Talking about that leveling up. And I, I feel like you and I view the brain very similar. It's like this, I talk about like this, it being this supercomputer to where it's like, all it does is like run the programs that you're constantly downloading. You, you talk about the books that you read, the videos you watch, like everything that you're doing. It's like all it's doing, like you're not confident. It's probably because you're downloading much of shit into the brain. And then as soon as it comes to a stressful situation, the brain is running that program that you like you yourself, you yourself have downloaded it. You yourself have surrounded yourself with those programs and just auto runs those programs when it gets to a situation of stress. And now it's like, OK, how, how are you going to change that? Like download new programs, get rid of the programs that you already have in your brain. Hell yes, dude. I don't let kids like in my gym, like listen to juice world anymore for the most part because of that. And I was actually having a conversation with somebody yesterday, like his, I, I love the beats and I love like the, the tone and, and everything, but then you listen to the words and it's so depressing and it's all about drugs being depressed and suicide. And it's like, no wonder that guy died. And also like, no wonder all these kids are depressed because that's all the input you're putting in there. Even if they don't know it, it's just like subliminally being put in there. I'm like, man, like everything you put in there is going to have some type of effect, positive or negative. But yeah, that's wild.
Yeah, and I love that small focus. You talk about like Juice World specifically, like those are small, intentful pieces that you're focused on. Like, okay, I'm listening to this, like painting, like most coaches would not pay attention to anything like that. What are other things that you're doing in the gym that are like, okay, these are these are small, intentful things that we're doing that we're going to make changes to work on re-downloading programs for kids? Because that's what I think about too in our space is like, how can we give them a space to build this confidence, to download new programs, to surround them with people that are going to help them like run these programs and push these programs and kind of, because that, that's where I view it's like, that you we're with them for one to two hours a day, you know, like that, that it's really not the one to two hours a day that's going to change them. It's how it's like what they're taking in that one to two hours a day and how they're going to run it for the rest of their day. And that, that that's where I like I like to think about, OK, and we're going to surround them with these people. We're going to put them in with these people. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to do these type of things. What are some of those things you're doing in your gym to really build that confidence and build that kind of new mindset and download those new programs in their brain? Dude, I love that question because I think w- what you and I can do for athletes, for people we work with, even if they're not athletes, for kids, I think it's so much more than just lifting weights because I, I-, I watch what you do on Instagram. Like I see it all the time. You're one of my favorite follows and you're an outside the box thinker compared to like the, the, the general normatives out there. And so like when guys come in my gym and this is mainly the off season, cause that's all my guys are, are, you know, NHL pro in Europe college or juniors for the most part. So they're all gone during the year. They're only home in the off season with me. They come in four days a week. Every single day we start with, I turn the music off and we start with intention. I, 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 and I also am like talking to them kind of, kind of like what I would guess, like, um, what are those people like a hypnotist kind of like, you know, they're talking. (laughs) And so it's kind of like, I kind of like walk them through some visualization. So they like, they have to have their eyes closed. And I tell them like, I'm like, I take this shit. They know how seriously I take training. And I'm like, I take this shit just as seriously as if you're hitting a, 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 uh, a PR set. Like, I don't care. This is just as important. It's not just the lift. Cause like I said earlier at those highest levels of the guys I train, the difference between player A and playing B is like, it's tiny. So I think this stuff is the, the edge. Cause everybody works out now. Everybody has a nutritionist. Everybody does video. Everybody does skills. So we start every day. They lay on their backs. I turn the music off and we do intention. And I, I walk them through that. I'm like, you know, what is your, what are your goals for this year? Uh, I want, and in their head, they have to be talking to themselves, you know, and, and they have to use uh, language. I will, I don't let them, like, I, I really guide them through it. So I will have a 94 save percentage if you're a goalie or whatever your goals are. I will play 30 out of the 60 games this year, or I will be a top two line player this year. I will, I will, I will. Um, and then their intentions for the day of training, like right now, bringing them back into the present. Um and then uh, visualization right after that. So it's like a minute of intention, intention and statements um, with I will. And then we do like a minute to two minutes of positive visualization, like see yourself in your role on the ice, doing what you do, um, bring in the sights, bring in the sounds, bring in the feel, like as many sensations as you can imagine so that your visualization is more real. It's going to be more effective. And there's so many studies that prove the effectiveness and, and, and how powerful visualization is. I'm a massive proponent for it. It changed my career. No doubt about it. When I was, when I was 18 years old and I learned about this stuff and I started implementing it immediately, 
So we do that. Uh, I also don't let them uh, talk badly about themselves. And this is a little thing, but I think it's one of the most important things because a lot of guys, you know, they're joking around with the boys and self-deprecating humor, you know, like, oh, I'm not that tough or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You do not say I can't. You don't say I, I won't. You, you never say bad words about yourselves. And I do not let them. If I hear it, I go up and I grab them. I'm like, no, you do not say that. You do not think that because and is this going to be like a huge difference in their life? Like maybe, maybe not, but it's like, if you're always saying those things in your head, it's what you said in the beginning, you're always downloading these thoughts and now you get into a tough situation and you're more easily to be down on yourself versus rebounding with positive self-talk. I will, I can, I'm going to, I believe in myself. And at those higher levels, like that's, that's a big difference. Yeah, that, that's freaking awesome. I just had Dan Fitcher on the podcast and he was he was talking about that same exact thing about when the first thing he does when his athletes come in the door is he has a meta uh, like intention, like he has them all stand at attention and then he runs them through a very similar like intention based. Why are you here? What are we going to accomplish today? Like and like what what's you like? What's your actual reason for training? And the, you have all these coaches like talking about like the wasting of time and stuff. It's like you said, like it's two to three minutes and I bet it completely changes your sessions. Dude, I mean, like. <laughs> Also, like, I think I think the power of why is very important. I have a huge hand painted sign by the street artist from downtown St. Louis in my gym. And it says, what is your why? And like all day long, I'm like pointing to it. Like, look, look up there. T tell it to yourself right now. Oh, you're tired or oh, you know, you went out last night. Well, like, boom, boom, right there. OK, there's guys who are going to try and take your scholarship, trying to take your job, take your food off your plate that are working right now, like fucking look at that sign, remind yourself why you're here, get the most out of it. And I think anyone who thinks that's a waste of time doing that stuff, they don't under, they don't understand. They don't understand. They don't get it. They, when you have intention behind anything. So I, I use this analogy. I say, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you to sprint as fast as I can, as fast as you can right now. I'll time you. All right. You're going to run really fast. What if I let a lion out of its cage behind you? I guarantee you, you will run faster. <laughs> I guarantee you. There is no doubt in my mind. And you have a why. There's intention there. So it's like, that. you know, I use that and then, oh, okay, I get it. You know, so um, just always in their ear too. And like mid set, I might get in a guy's ear. I'm walking around the room. I train anywhere from like, like, like 12 to like 24 guys at a time. I do group settings so I can keep the price down. I also like to foster a competitive environment. We do tons of, you know, drills like, like you do. I've seen all your stuff, you know, and drills on the turf where it's like competing because again, intention that will intention drives results. And uh, I might come over in their ear and just be like, best fucking season in your life. You're going to have the best fucking season in your life. If you get this weight, if you get all eight reps, best fucking season in your life, you know, and, and it helps, man. I, it helps. Like I just, I don't know. That's the, I love doing that shit. <laughs> no, that is fucking awesome. Uh, how do you ever have any issues? So like this, this is a big question I get when, when I, when I talk about meditation and I talk about some of the stuff, like the woo 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 stuff that we talk about and then the mindset stuff that we talk about all these, a lot of coaches ask, well, like, how do you get guys to buy in? How do you get guys to buy in? And one of the things like I kind of have to realize is I have a little bias with the people that come to me because I talk about this openly. Like, this is what we're going to do at my gym. So the people that come to me are kind of like, okay, they kind of expect it a little bit. How do you get people to buy in? Do you have to go through a buy-in process with some of these athletes to get them to buy in and get them to this level of it? Or is it more like the community, like, especially now, like where they kind of know what to expect with you, uh, maybe a mix of both. Like what, what's kind of your process there with that buy-in process of all these things we're talking about? 
I'm I'm lucky in a couple of regards. One, um, when I'm I'm an 85 birth year, so I'm 37 years old. Coming up in St. Louis, hockey like wasn't very big here. Like it was, but it wasn't outside city, Minnesota, Chicago, Michigan. Like they wouldn't even fly in to play us. We had to always travel. Um, so there weren't like a ton of people. There were a couple guys here and there from birth years ahead of me where you could look up to and be like, oh, he made it to college. Like, oh my God, didn't even know what that was really. Um, so by me making it to the NHL and signing two deals and playing 10 years pro and and things like that, like I, I have instant credibility because I did it. And then um, I was a leader on every team I was on. I wore a letter on almost every team from like a, a little kid all the way up. And, you know, it, the internet, you know, it's everywhere. So people can search my name and like, Oh, oh he, he's not lying. Like he's, he's telling the truth. And I'm just, I, I tell everyone my story. So before anybody starts with me, like I have them come in and I tell them like, this is why we're going to do things this way. Like I, all of you in this room are more skilled than me. There is no doubt in my mind. All of you have more skill than I had, but if a puck went in the corner is me versus you, I'm going to kill you to get that puck. Like that's how I played. And not that I was tough, but it was just like, I will do anything to win. And all of the things that we're going to do helped me win throughout my career. It helped my teammates. Cause I was always talking about this stuff in the locker room as a captain. Um, I was, I was named captain as a sophomore at Western Michigan university, like not assistant, like the captain. And in college hockey, it's always like a senior who's the captain. Um, so, so I, I, I did what I talk about. I did. And people believe that I, that I did what I say and I still do what I say. So, um, and because I've trained so many athletes now in St. Louis, everybody knows who I am. So I kind of get to pick who I work with, um, versus like just a random kid comes off the street, doesn't know who I am. It's kind of more like somebody who trains with me will be like, Hey, this kid really wants it. I really like him. He's my buddy or a coach. will call me and say, Hey, I really need you to work with this kid. So they already are informed and know. And because of social media now they can look at what I'm all about as a person, as a human, as a coach, as a strength coach, my hockey career. So they come in informed. Um, and, uh, that's been one of the biggest blessings for me using social media. You know, I, I hate it. I, I love it. And I hate it for so many different reasons on both sides, but I just try and use it as to show people what I do. So if they come to me, like they know what they're in for. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's awesome. I'm writing that down. It's like the power of stories. And the, the only way you get the benefit of the power of the story is one, learning your own story and learning how to tell that story. But two, like, being honest about your story. Like the reason your story is so powerful is because it is your story. And what you do a nice job of on social media is you put your story out there and you you put your words out there. It's not like you're trying to like, like this is where I see it's like, man, they're like, they're trying to sell. Like they're, they're trying to sell on that social media. They're trying to do like, it, it, you get that like gross, icky feeling like going there. It's like, uh, and then, but when you do sell that way, like all you're going to do, like you said, is just going to end up with a kid that is not, he doesn't know what you're about. He doesn't know what your, your program's about. You guys probably like you have to do the at some point you have to tell that story. You have to connect in some way or it's not going to work regardless. So like one of the things that I, I I love that you do it just and I try to do it as much as possible, too, is like just on the front end, like tell your story and then attract people that are attracted to that story. And that, those are really the only people that I feel like you can kind of help and guide like you're never you're never going to force an athlete to do what you do or buy into what you do. It's like they're going to connect to your story or they're not. And the people that connect to your story, are the people that you want to move forward with in life and kind of go forward with there. And that, that that's what I love that you do is like you tell that story and you 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 embrace the power of your story. Yeah, I mean, I, I know 
I know how hard it was for me to make it to where I did. And I think a lot of people like, of course, I wanted to make 20 plus million in the NHL and I wanted to play in the NHL my whole career. And that didn't happen. And I think a lot of people who, especially coaches, no matter what level they finished at, but it's especially ones who didn't make it to the highest, highest levels. I think a lot of coaches are like embarrassed to kind of tell their story or, or something like that. It's like, no, man, your story is powerful. And if you, if you didn't make it, it's powerful to hear why you didn't make it, dude, I'm telling you to go to, to, to not be out at 3am on Saturday night, because I did that and it hurt me, you know, like that type of thing. If a coach was like that or a coach is this way or that way. And, it, you know, uh, one of my one of my favorite things, I have uh, I have two podcasts now. One is pretty big. It's called the Hockey Think Tank podcast. And we talk about all this stuff. So that also helps get my message out there and, and people to, to buy into what I do and how I do it. Um, but I truly believe and I felt this way throughout my entire career, looking back at the coaches that made the biggest impact on me, um, you don't as far as coaching goes, nobody cares how much, you know, until you know how much they care. So like people know that I freaking care about this stuff. They know that I care about every person who works out with me. I will do anything for them. I drop sometimes if they're not eating right, I'll just be like, Hey, check your front door. And there's like a bag of frozen peas on their front door. I'm like, put them in your smoothies right now. Do it now. You know, like I, like I'll, I'll go to their games when I can. They can text me 24 seven, whether that's a good or a bad thing. I know, you know, sometimes I ha I need to put up more barriers or else my fiance is going to kill me. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's 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 I think it's really, really important. Whoever you are, like be that and own that. And and then people will buy into you more. Well, and I, I kind of want to tie that into your your GMBM kind of philosophy that give more, be more philosophy. Um, I feel like that ties in pretty well to that. Can you explain to people what that is and, and what that means to you? Yeah, I uh, I was actually, I was sitting, uh, it was my first year after I retired from playing and um, a supplement company, Isogenics, wanted to work with me and they named me like an athlete and stuff. And uh, I got flown out to uh, Scottsdale, I think it was Arizona. And there was a big, big Isogenics uh, conference there. And I had no idea what this whole thing was about, whatever. Like, okay, you know, like I'll learn about it. And it was kind of like, it's kind of like those movies where it's like in a church and everybody's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like praise. And, and, but, but, but everyone in there, despite like wanting to be successful in their own right, you know, as far as like me monetarily and stuff, everyone there really wanted to help people lose weight and get healthier. It was more for like just general pop, not athletes. Everyone there truly, truly wanted to help people. And it was very, very powerful. It was the first time not playing hockey, like outside of hockey, I felt super moved and super like, I need, I need to be better. I need to do better. I like, like, I think I'm good. Like I can be better and I can help more people. I need to be more for my family, my friends, myself, my clients. And, um, my flight was delayed. So I'm just like walking around the downtown area, whatever city it was. And like randomly, it's just like, sounds like a corny movie, but it's a hundred percent true. I come to this, like, area where there's like all these huge buildings and in the middle was like a really cool like garden with like waterfalls and like it was such a movie and uh i'm just sitting there like internalizing reflecting like how can i be better and i'm like talking to myself and writing things down and i was like i don't know how i came up with it but i was like I, if i give more like i'm gonna be more not only like if i give more to other people i'll be a better person if i give more to my studies i'll be a better strength coach if i give more to this or that or whatever and i literally just looked up the closest tattoo shop i called them i'm like hey you got any openings i walked 
two feet down the street, whatever it was, I got give more, be more tattooed on me. And then like six months later, um, a hockey clothing company reached out to me and they're like, Hey, we, we listen to your podcast. We love your message. Do you want us to, do we want, do you want us to make some like GMBM shirts or whatever? And I was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. That's so cool. And so they did. And I loved them and people started asking for them. So then I started selling them and then it's just kind of become this thing. I've got it all over my gym. Um, but I think it's just a real simple thing. You can remind yourself in hard times, like give more and I'll be more, you know, and like in the gym, like give more in the gym and you're going to be a better player. Give more to your studies. You're going to be a better student. Give more to your family. You're going to be a better husband, wife, son, daughter, whatever it is. And I just find that, uh, you know, it worked for, that's how I lived my life when I played hockey. And now I just try to live my life that way every day, honestly. Yeah, that, that, that's fucking awesome. And then that, that's it's just continually like it, it's the, the continual process of giving to 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 your to your pursuit, to your muse, to whatever it is that you that you uh, establish. And that, that that's very similar to our like keep chopping wood. Like it's the same thing. Like Love if, you, if you want to keep going, you know, like just keep swinging and keep giving, keep yep. keep doing it. And then eventually the tree is going to fall and eventually you're going to be more. And then I've, Hell I, yeah. I, I fucking love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's dope, dude. So I want to talk about you talked about these concussions and I kind of want to go into, we, we did our woo woo thing and people are going to kill me if I don't get into some practical with you. <laughs> um, we, uh, we, we uh, talked about concussions at the start and we talked about how you went into the exercise science field because you really wanted to learn and you really wanted to better yourself. And now you, you were struck with these concussions. What has that? And I, I see you're, you're big in the neck training and big into like uh, reactive training and, and working with some of these things. What has the concussions and then this injury kind of route that that struck you down how has that helped you as a coach and what have you learned from that as a coach to really move your program forward and kind of prevent that for other people or work on that for other people because i I, we have a bunch of people on with like acl is a big one like almost all a lot of good coaches i have on they almost all tore their acl and they went through the rehab process and they're like bro this shit sucks or i learned something from this and that's why i went into this so I'm i'm interested in learning like what is the concussion? What like what did it teach you? How how was going through that process, and how are you going about training now to kind of prevent that so other people don't have to go through what you went through? Yeah, dude, that's such a good question. I learned so much from my concussion and the rehab process, and then also it just made me dissect how can I not get concussions because I, I I feel like. Um, for me personally, most of my concussions happened when I didn't see the hit coming or the puck coming. Like, you know, I was behind a guy and all of a sudden I'm freaking getting hit by an 80 mile an hour puck, but then I'd get hit in the face by punches, hits, pucks, other times where I saw it coming and I, my brain knew it was coming and somehow protected itself or whatever, you know, neck as well. And I wouldn't get a concussion. So that got me thinking, but, um, one of the biggest issues I had with my bat, my really bad one that happened right after I signed with the Bruins, um, my vestibular system was super off. Like I would close my eyes and I'd fall over in a quarter of a second, the room would spin. Um, and it was that way for like six months. I go into a grocery store and I could only be in there for four minutes before I would like puke or I'd, I'd have to like get out of there or a couple times I'd get like kind of lost in the grocery store. Um, uh, it, it so shitty, but through this vestibular rehab process that I did three to four days a week for about six months, um, I was learning like, Oh my God, man, your eyes play such an important role in your balance, in your proprioception, in understanding where you are in a room, uh, on the field, on the ice, like all these things. And I'm like, um, I remember 
specifically the 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 drill that I did like day one where I couldn't do it at all. And I did it the rest of my career where I was just walking forward and the the vestibular uh, rehab therapist was behind me and she had like a football and I, I had to walk in what I was trying to be a straight line and I would turn catch the ball as I'm walking forward, toss the ball back toward turning that way, catch the ball, walk. When I started doing it, I'd end up like 45 degree angle over there. And I think of going straight and I'm dizzy and all these things. And I'm like, wow, like I thought, I thought I was like going in a straight line. And I was like, wow, your eyes are really, really important when you train. And so as I started, you know, after however long it was, I got out of that and I learned more about the importance of your eyes. I was like, dude, no one has ever at any level talked about training your eyes, training space and time in the gym. It's only lifting, at least when I was where I was in, in you know, Boston, Providence, uh, uh, D- Division One juniors. No one. It was only lifting. Training was literally only lifting, sprinting, jumping, throwing. That was all it was. And I was like, wait a minute, like there's gotta be more like, why, why don't I train my eyes? Why don't I train reaction stuff? Why don't I train all this? And so I started when I got healthy all summer long, I made that a massive focus going into that first year back healthy. And it was like, Oh, like I remember the meeting I had with the Bruins after preseason, they played me in five out of the seven games. They played me more than any first round draft pick they had that wasn't a full-time NHLer, more than any of the second round draft picks. And I was a, one of the last guys cut and they're, they're in the meeting and they're like, man, we, we, you played so well, but we literally can't take you on the roster for opening day. You haven't played hockey in 15 months. Like we, we can't take you. And, and I was, I, I felt like I was at like the best I've ever felt. And the only difference was that I really added in all of these different, like visual drills, balance drills while moving my eyes. Not like, not like standing on a BOSU ball, like not that type of shit, like the fake stuff, like, like, like moving, scanning the room while I'm running. So like in sports, it's not tra- hockey, football, all these sports uh, that are not track. The goal isn't to just run as fast as you can. You have to be able to, you have to be able to, uh, uh, exercise skill. You have to make skilled movements. You have to rotate. Your eyes are not just looking forward. So like I started like doing sprints while like looking around the room and trying to read signs while I'm moving in the gym, like public gyms, like running and like trying to read a sign while I'm running. And the more I did it, the better I felt on the ice, the the quicker I was able to like see things. And I was just like, whoa, light bulb. And I just started researching and learning and tr- a lot of trial and error on myself. And, uh, and it's just, it's just been an ever going process ever since then. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because that's, that's exactly kind of how I look at, we, we approach it maybe in a little bit different way, but that's why we do all of our small side of games like that. That's a massive part of it is trying to, again, you talked about like the, the goal of sport is not to just run in a fast line as fast as possible. Like maybe that's a part of it, like just the outputs, like building that output, but we're, we're touching on all of that now. How are we applying that skill? How are we doing it? And I, that's where I really like to constrain the athletes and doing a bunch of different variations of these games to naturally work on these things, naturally work on all this like hand-eye coordination, this reaction ability, the ability to process information and solve movement problems and have the eye scan and solve and um, not even just solve movement problems, but locate where the movement problem is going to be coming and then doing these things and doing it in a bunch of different ways and taking this massive pool of 
movement problems that you've been exposed to and move massive pool of movement problems that you've seen with your eyes, with your brain that, that you have now downloaded in your thing and then funneling it down into your sport. And that that's something that I totally geek out about. How are, how are you going about that now that, that you have gone through that trial and error process and you have gone through this, all this, I'm, I'm sure there's some weird shit you tried that didn't work. Like, like how would you, how have you funneled that into your <laughs> training program now have you seen Step Brothers? yes <laughs> did we just become best friends yep <laughs> dude i do the same things and like people used to like people people who uh well i would say they're behind the curve used to like rip on me because these first of all they used to say like all oh, those guys don't even lift because i train unilaterally for the most part um now all the studies are coming out about you know unilateral training all this stuff whatever and how valuable it is but it's the same with like the games and i do const- i do constraint led games as well so like a simple one is um and i mess like, we're on the same same wavelength totally um like a simple one i'll do is i'll create like a, a small area i'll have all the guys with their non-dominant hand dribbling a basketball and it's kind of like um It's kind of, it's not keep away. Like as they're dribbling the basketball, they have to move. They can't double dribble. And they're trying to hit the other guy's basketball to make (laughs) them mess up the dribble. So, and within that there's body, they're allowed to hit each other, not like run each other over, but there's body contact. So they're feeling pressure on their hips. They have to rotate. They have to have their eyes up all while dribbling that basketball. And if they lose the dribble, they're out. If a guy hits their ball, they're out. If, if they go outside the lines, they're out. So they're having to have all of these different things going on at once. And like, it looks goofy as hell, but like you said, and this is the exact thing I say on podcasts all the time. I think every kid should play multiple sports. If you're, if they want even, even older players, like not, not even like actually like organized like go play basketball with your boys go go play kickball go play this go spike but all these things because the more you do these things the more uh I, I look at hockey as just a bunch of problems and you're always having a problem solve immediately like where where is my guy where do i have to be where's the pressure coming from where do i need to move where are the outs all these things and the more uh um movements the more skills the more tricks the more you have in your bag the more in that moment the more things in that moment you can pull out and and solve that equation of the problem that's happening on the ice wherever it may be and that could be a speed problem it could be power it could be body position it could be coordination while moving like so we do we every single day we do some type of game every single day it's part of and it's part of our it's a warm-up it gets the guys to buy in i also make it competition so it's intent driven um and 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 they have fun training which is also something that i have learned is massively important if i want guys to continually to come back and get murdered every day there's got to be a component where they enjoy it. They want to be there. It's fun. And every single day, guys have fun in my gym every single day. But you work hard while you're having fun. It's not just one or the other. Yeah, I, bro, there's there's so many points I want to I touch on where there you talk about the fun aspect and you have to like have this uh, like want to come back. I, I was talking to one of our gym pop. So like our, our gym, we work with like we have so many like it's just a massive population i throw everybody in the same group train them all like just sapiens like all we're all so we have this uh gen pop girl her name's sophie she came in today but she was talking about like she's like i i 
you murder me every day. Like it, it, she's like, she has never played a sport, never done any of this. She's like, I get murdered every single day, but I am depressed if I don't come here. Like she was having like, it is right? so much fun doing this stuff. And then she it's not like she's the, the all-star person that's scoring all the touchdowns. She just likes the movement and likes the, like that aspect of it. And then she goes and like, has to go get murdered with ISOs and all the things like that. <laughs> guys are like like it's, it's like the want to come back to that because of what we do at the start and I, I think it's so powerful it's like you would never get most people to do the things almost that are required for like what we need to do you know like you, you gotta like nobody wants to do a bulgarian nobody wants to do an eccentric reverse like the unilateral like you know that shit sucks but you, you probably kind of have to do it but now we're 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 changing the environment in which like i want to come back for this part and this other stuff that we're going to be able to do and getting the brain engaged and involved in that way i i think is super important Another thing that I want to talk about, you talked about most kids, like most kids should play multiple sports. And I could not agree more. And but this is where like I and I just kind of had this light bulb moment recently. It's like that is going to be more and more on us as gym coaches, like or as gym owners going forward because of how specialization is going. Like, yes, the more and more we say this and like unless the high school structure is going to change and the travel league structure is going to change. It's going to come more and more on us as gym owners and, and sports performance coaches to expose these athletes to be multiple sport athletes. And that's kind of what I view. It's like, okay, the, like I, I work with this hobby, hockey group of kids and they're, they're 14 to 16 years old and they're travel like it's literally they play every single like everything. I'm like, man, what is going on? So when they come with me, like we're playing all like I'm trying to make them multi-sport athletes with us because that's our yep. I'm like, what are you going to get the most out of? Like, I'm going to make you a multi-sport athlete here because there's no way one, some of these parents are so crazy. It's like, there's no way, like, I'm going to talk to them into, like, doing this. And two, that like, you're going to, like, you, they're not going to make the team. They're going to do all this. Like, you have all that social pressure of this. So it's like, the only time you're allowed to play a multiple sport is when you come to me. So, like, that's what we're going to do with our time. And we're going to make you a multiple sport athlete. Dude, literally my philosophy to a T right there. And hockey, I can't speak on other sports because I'm not in them. But hockey is, like it's actually gone crazy. And that's the reason we started our podcast because it's crazy. And the early specialization in hockey is insane. And it's, it's actually, it's really bad with hockey specifically because hockey skating is not a natural biomechanical movement. Like our hips, like, like walking and running, like, yeah, we're made, we're made to do that as humans, but in hockey, like the way your hips move, like that's not, it's not totally normal. And there's, because of the early specialization, the rise in younger players having hip surgeries is it's, it just keeps going up. And if, and even more so now is there's this like really big pressure to play in summer tournaments, which if you ask anybody who played at the highest levels, they tell you to take the summer off, but parents get hooked in by advisors or people who are just trying to make money. They put on some tournament and they'll make a million dollars for a tournament because they'll get 60 teams there and all these kids. And then they say, Oh, it's heavily scouted and parents get FOMO. Well, my little Johnny's got to go. Cause he's got to get scouted. Little Johnny's nine little Johnny. We should be playing soccer and baseball in the summer. That is actually what's going to help him be a better hockey player when he's 16, 17, 18, 19 and beyond. So if you want him to be a better hockey player, he needs to play more sports not only because you're not going to have them doing those same movement patterns that are probably not great for our hips over and over and over again. But like we talked about earlier, you're going to have a bigger bag to draw from on the ice. When you have to solve problems, you're going to move in all these different ways where in hockey, you don't move that way all the time. So there's so many reasons it's so important, but do that. That is my philosophy to a T is why we do all these other sports and games and stuff like that. Cause I want to get them out of the positions that they're always in year round. 
Yeah, and all all the strength coaches like that are that are against this. Like you, you preach all the time that like you're going to build up an output reserve, a speed reserve, an aerobic reserve. It's like okay, like we also have to build up a cognitive reserve. You know, like the the movement problem solving reserve. Like it, it seems silly that like we're we're just swearing off one aspect when 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 we like we say the same thing for other aspects of our training. Um, it's 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 short sighted. It's the low hanging fruit. I don't care about a nine year old, 10 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old, even. I don't care about them being the best 14 year old, especially the kids I work with because they're the quote unquote best in the city. But my goal is not to have these kids be the best at 14. It's to have them have the chance to go on to juniors, go on to college, go on to pro. Like those are the real goals. I don't care how. So, yeah, okay. The kid who skates year round, he might be better at 10. No one cares how good anyone is at 10. It doesn't matter, especially because the, their goal, the parents and the kids, is to play higher level hockey. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I'm, you know, one of the f- first guys in St. Louis to play pro hockey, to be a captain of a D1 school. And all my buddies who are playing pro and all my clients who listen to me and come to me that are pros, we say it nonstop. But these parents, like, they don't always listen. And I'm like, ah, come on. <laughs> so <laughs> it drives me nuts, man. So, yeah, it's totally that FOMO. But so we're kind of talking about this big picture of multi-sports, um, play-based training and all the, the these things that I view as big picture and kind of big stones. Uh, but I also see you and uh, we do the, a lot of the same stuff. Like you go pretty small picture too. Like uh, you're, you're working on the foot, the ankle, the toes even. You're working on the neck. You're working on a lot of mobility drills. How do you balance like the importance of the big picture with the small picture? How do you balance the blend of, okay, I'm going to hit our big stones with the small stones without getting stuck in one or the other like category? Because I feel like a lot of coaches get stuck. And I feel like a lot of coaches sometimes more so gets, I think it's more of a bias to get stuck in the small category to where like you're, you're a foot specialist. The only thing you do is work on foot. It's like, okay, there's so many good things that I can. And that's why I like having people like that on the podcast, like your foot specialist heavy on the podcast, steal stuff. But man, like if all I'm working on is the foot with my athlete, like I, I'm not going to make him a better athlete. At the end of the day, I'm not making him a better athlete. Like that's not what we're doing. So like steal the stuff in the foot. Then this way, I feel like you do really not. You steal stuff from the foot guy. You steal stuff from the spine guy. You steal stuff from the neck guy. But how, how are you applying the, the small and big aspects of training? And how do you make sure that you're staying balanced with that with your athletes? such a good question and and this is the hard thing about like social media too because like a lot of people come up to me and be like yeah all he does is like mobility all those guys do is like lay on the floor i'm like well that's what i put on instagram because i know nobody does that yeah like my guy the volume that my guys lift at is higher than anyone i know um uh, especially because it's mostly unilateral so it's like you're not just doing a set of eight you're actually doing a set of 16 because you got to hit both legs um but I just structure my, my training for the most part, obviously, depending on the cycle, the time of summer, the goal, all these different things. Usually it's like the warm up, prehab and mobility are all kind of together. I kind of blend them all together. I try to have them flow nicely. I also try to do something for each major body part in our warm up prehab mobility section of the workout every day, every day, no matter, no matter if it's more of an upper body day, a power focus, a lower body day, a strength, whatever it is, I still want to hit that stuff every day because I also know that like energy leaks. And again, like I work with like more of the higher end, it's not like just little kids who need the, the fundamentals over and over. Um, energy leaks are massively important. Like I don't, I, I care less about how much weight you lift and I care more about how you lift it. Because again, I'm not training weightlifters. I'm training 
people who want to be better at hockey. So like I, I, I see a guy who who's got their, their foot collapses inward every single step they take every single, whatever. Well, I know when you're jumping, skating, everything, you're losing energy right away at the ankle. So like, yeah, of course we need to work on your ankle and we need to work on your foot and we need to work on your soleus and your tibs. So, so I just try and like work from the toes all the way up and do at least like something for every joint um, or every place where I see a lot of people lose, lose, have an energy leak um, and work on that. And then also just like combat, like the positions we're in all the time, by focusing on being mobile in those areas and, and, and not just like stretching, like, like funk, like end range loading and end range loading and things like that. Um, but the way I structure it is like, they come in, we do the intention, we get into like some floor based stuff, some DNS stuff. We go through the joints, prehab mobility, stability. Then we go into usually like some kind of power exercise and then strength and, and then cardio at the end, unless we're doing some kind of speed stuff, that's obviously in the very beginning before the strength stuff. So almost every day, if I was just going to like, like put it in like a little box, it's kind of like that every day. Uh, I, I just, I find that I can get the most out of my guys by doing that. And we, we, we do a lot. We do a lot every day. Like, it's like, it's like we move one to the next, the next, the next, the next, the next, the next, so that we can get everything in because I want to work on all that stuff. Yeah. And, and one big aspect too, it's like, if you want to keep a big picture for people, like it's like, it's a lot of it just move too. Like, it, like you, you'd be surprised, like get an athlete on a floor. Like it, a lot of the things that you're doing, it's like, get them on the floor and have them move through these range of motion. Just watch how much better they feel. And it's like, oh, it's yeah. like, it's, they talk about the magic and like, it, it, if a coach isn't there to be able to like go through like specific, it's like, just have them move on the ground, like have them roll, like have them move their spine in a different spot. They haven't moved their spine in and just watch, like watch how the body responds to that movement that they're not being given. And especially, and I know I just, I have, I've only worked with this one hockey group and they're young hockey guys. And I still see it. It's like, and then we have this base and then we have a baseball group now too, that we started with And these are high school baseball guys, but it's like, the baseball is almost worse too. It's like you guys are not athletes. You guys are baseball. Not players. athletes, it, it, man. It's brutal, man. It, it's like you guys need to develop this athletic base. You get just I'm not even athlete like humans. Like you got to be able to move. Like I'm gonna get you on the floor. And like they're talking with like cart the the amount of people that don't know how to do a cartwheel or like. Ah! Just Bro, like, we do cartwheels and somersaults three times a week in my gym. Yeah, three times a week. Cartwheels, somersaults, barrel rolls, like controlling your body in different positions, ape walks, like all the, you know, different movement patterns. Because I, I, don't, I, I would guess it's the same for you, but every elite athlete that I talk about and I ask them, like, who is the best player you played with? Who were the best players you played with? Who had the most longevity? It was the best athletes. It wasn't necessarily the best hockey player. You could go over to the bat basketball, you know, court and they're dominating on there. You play in baseball and they can throw the ball. You play football. They could play any position. It's because of everything we've talked about with the bag you can pull out of to answer the equations. They have better movement capabilities. They can be flowy. They can be tough. Like you, it's not, you don't need to be just one or the other, but the more that you can be good in all of these different areas, it's going to allow you to express more skill in whatever sport you're you're playing and that unless you're a track athlete like that's the goal yeah and i would even argue if you are a track athlete too just because it, it, you talked about the the low-hanging fruit too because this is something we, we had a couple track athletes come in this past um this past off season and what like the low-hanging fruit for them it's like it's not outputs for them either you know like it like the low-hanging fruit for them is just movement like right. that, that's a big piece that it like it, it's like it's just going from shit to set the law of diminishing returns like however you want to look at it it's just like it 
it's just they're terrible at it like it's it's not magic it's just they're terrible at this aspect they've never been exposed to this aspect you're gonna have to squeeze so hard to get them better at their especially like uh, we when we went to d1 and i was the strength coach at our d1 college we had all these freshmen come in and their big three lifts were all insane because all these freshmen were they knew their combine they knew when they went to these combines to get looked at d1 coaches these big three lifts were going to matter and then they had this like um the, we had this like three cone drill like it would be amazing but you take them out of those situations and they were terrible but you're terrible. better but you're gonna better at this like so like trying to get this one dude i remember he had um he's a nose guard that we brought in just a pretty good like big dude and he could bench 405 and we put him in a bear crawl position or we put him in a position in where he's using his hands and a similar thing or even his punch and like he was told consistently by the coaches that his punch was weak he couldn't hold a bear crawl position but he could bench four or five it's like squeezing anything more out of a bench press for him would do nothing and it would cost so much. It would take probably 12 weeks to get him from 405 to 415. Whereas I can have him bear crawl and maybe throw a med ball or just do something with his upper body athletically, maybe apply a push-up, And we're going to see so much more of an increase just because he's so bad at them compared to this other aspect. Or even like, um, like I, I started doing this and it, it changed the way I felt like you, I, same thing for me. And it, I had a light bulb moment after my freshman year of college, I wasn't drafted. Um, so I was a free agent. So like any NHL team could sign you if you're a free agent. Right. And after my freshman year, I had a pretty good year and the Washington capitals invited me to their development camp. And that's where they have all of their um, draft picks um, and uh, other free agents. They're going to look at, it was like two teams. So it's probably like 40 guys. And uh, I smoked the testing there. I think I got second in the bench press. Actually, there was a meet who had, had who was better than me. And like hockey players are not huge bench pressers, but like they like two seventy five for like five or seven or something. And one guy had had more than me. And right after I went, their fifth overall in the draft, so number five pick, couldn't even bench press one thirty five <laughs> one time. And I'm sitting there and I'm like watching him because I know he is. It's to start for day one of camp. And I'm like, yeah, 275 by seven. Like, suck it. Like, I'm awesome. And then I watch this guy who's one of the best players in the world and he can't do the warm up weight. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, I'm training wrong. I'm training wrong. Like, and then, I'm, and then I, luckily their strength coach, uh, the guy who's running the testing, his name is Jack Blatherwick. He's like a famous USA hockey strength coach. He was the 1980 gold medal, uh, uh, team from USA. He was their strength coach. And he said one thing to me that again, was another pivotal moment in my career. I say this all the time as an athlete, as a hockey player, if you can do all of your lifts in a phone booth, you're, you're not training to be an athlete. And I was like, Whoa, all I do at school is clean bench back squat that's all i do and this guy can't bench my warm-up weight and he's disgusting i think he won <laughs> rookie of the year in the nhl that year and i was like whoa so like i started doing things in different ways so like that guy yeah he benches 405 great he can't freaking you know maybe when he's standing up and he's actually having to hit guys that strength isn't translating because it's not the same thing so like i do like a lot of like i have like cables or um i, I have a deal with an anchor um or like bands on the walls where you're standing and it's like come you know, the band is horizontal. So now you've got to use hamstrings, glutes, core, neutral spine. And like, you don't need a lot of weight and you like falling over. You've got to resist it with everything. And that's way more similar to how you're going to check someone and not fall over than laying on a bench and pressing up this way, which nothing in any sport looks like that. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but I'm saying exactly what you are. There is a point where it's like, you're strong enough let's do things that are going to be a little bit uncomfortable and work the whole body at the same time, the way that you do when you actually play the sport we're training for. 
Yeah, that, that's amazing. I had a very similar wake up moment my freshman year of college. Uh, I was cleaning. I, we like maxed out right before practice. It was such a stupid setup, but we were maxing <laughs> out before practice. Um, and I cleaned 350. Um, and I was like looking around. I was like, man, I am the shit, man. Like I'm I was sweet. looking over. Yeah, I'm sweet. <laughs> and I look at it, the senior linebacker next to me and he's upright rowing 185, trying to like get it up like this muscle upright row and like throw his body underneath. It was just horrible. And I was like, oh, no, and I was playing fullback at the time. And I remember this to a T. I was like looking at that. I was like, that is so gross. And this, and he's like this dad bod, like just gross. But he's our starting linebacker. I'm like, I am set here. Like, this is going to be so easy. And then I ran through an ISO hole with him um, right after that. Like, it literally was probably 40 minutes after that. I ran through an ISO and he hit me so hard. He hit me so hard. I just saw stars. Like, I was just on the ground. He met me in the hole. I was on the ground just staring up at this guy. And he just started laughing and, like, threw out a hand. He's like, you got it next time, freshman. And I was like, what the? You're like, how? 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 Yeah, and so, like, that, that, that eye-opening moment, man. And, and it's tough because it's like you hear these coaches talk about stuff and that's, that's why I like that. Like you have this professional hockey background. It's like, you hear these coaches talk about stuff. It's like, have you ever played a sport? Like, have you mm. ever done this? Like what you're saying, or maybe it's just been so long since you have played a sport because what you're saying is not real. Like it, it, it it's an illusion we have created in our heads to like make sense of the, like make sense of this stuff that we don't know. Like there's so much stuff in sport. We don't know. There's so many unknowns. So it's like we've almost created this fantasy land, this illusion land to pretend like we know. But it's like when you step onto the court, it does not matter. When you step on the field, when you step on the ice, what you're saying is not real life. It does, I don't I don't like this is getting into extreme. But like if you're the best player in the NHL and you don't lift weights at all and you don't you don't like maybe you don't have to. <laughs> and that's a weird thing to say coming from a strength coach. But like, dude, you're already the best. And like, yes, I want injury prevention, all this stuff. But like you're something is happening right there that is working. You are the best. And it doesn't matter how many pull ups you can do. If that guy beats you in a one on one, I don't care how many pull ups you can do. Like, yes, there are things we can do in the gym that will help you to be better uh, on the court, on the field, on the ice, whatever it is. But we've got to continuously try to find what those things are and not just do things to do things like I personally I have different philosophies than a lot of people. And like, I don't like barbell back squatting for hockey players, for the general population. A lot of people I know a lot of coaches don't like that. And I also know there's a million ways to skin a cat. Like just because of work, I do it this way doesn't mean anybody else has to do it that way. But I just think you can get more out of like a rear foot elevated split squad or heavy walking lunges or some other things because hockey, you are never on two feet just moving around. Like you're never making a play like that. You're never hitting anybody like that. When you skate, it's one leg at a time. So for that reason, I don't do that because I know tons of players that when they do that, they don't feel better on the ice. And then when they do more unilateral, they feel way better on the ice. So I'm like, okay, I don't have any exercise where I'm like, this is a must do no matter what you say, we're going to do this. It's like, if I don't think this makes you better at hockey, we're going to lose it. We're not going to use it because I don't care. I don't care. Like I care what your numbers are because I want you to get better, but I don't care what your numbers are because I just care about what happens on the ice. And I think that people who actually played the sports, played sports, played, played the sport you're training for or played at the higher levels, they really remember that and realize that, especially guys like you and I, who maybe we had to work harder and we were the best in the gym and that allowed us to get to those levels. But then we see a guy like dad bod central over there who's just trucking you and you're like, whoa, there's 
okay, maybe I could have focused more on my, I don't know, like running into and hitting, like hitting practice, hitting guys, practice, tackling guys, maybe all that time you spent on cleaning. Maybe if you practice hitting a practice dummy, maybe that would have had you more prepared for that versus just lifting, you know, I don't know, but like as an example. Yeah, absolutely. And then one of the things you're talking about the exercise and I, trying to like get a lot of people to think about this is like swear to the stimulus swear to the goal stop swearing to the exercise you know like we get so lost in swearing to the exercise when it's like swear to the stimulus like what is the stimulus you want to get out of this and then i know you view movement this way because you were talking about the games and you're talking about that that basketball game and you're talking about and they're allowed body contact and they're working all this body contact and it's just to me it's just such a different way of viewing movement and viewing what's actually and just it's almost like taking a step back and watching what's actually happening rather than what you were told to see, you know, like you're told to see the back squat number, but okay, what's actually happening? Like what's actually happening when they're moving? Cause this is like, I'm talking about the play-based stuff too. It's like a lot of play-based stuff could be considered unilateral strength, bilateral strength. Uh, Like, you know, like you're doing so many things there that could be considered strength training. If you watch them as strength, you just, but like we, they watch it as a play. They see a ball and they just write it. It's not a weight room activity anymore. It's like that dude just moved a 300 pound human. Like you're telling me that's not, you just picked up a dude in wrestling. Like you're telling me that's not a deadlift, like that type of stuff. So I, I, I viewing and taking a step back and viewing the things that are right in front of you rather than viewing things the way you were told to view them dude like well uh, for instance like a fireman's carry like i don't do this in the gym but like you could and it would make a lot more sense than probably like i, I mean something that would be similar i don't know a, a clean like maybe picking up a, a a limp body and having to like because it's it's uneven weight and they're going to be flopping which is going to use your core more and your foot more and your hips more than like a weight that's distributed evenly and you know it's in perfect alignment and all that stuff but like on the, on the ice on the field that's not how it happens it's not it's not the perfect situation every time where you're right in the middle of the bar and everything's even and I'm ready and go like that's that's not how it happens so yeah and you're right like uh, um so like a big a big thing that I'm into and uh I just I like to attach names to things just so when I say them to people they they understand what I mean and it's not necessarily because like that is describing it but like reactionary agility because when I was growing up agility was running around set pattern cones and yes, there is a time and place for that. Younger players getting to learn how to accelerate, decelerate, come out of the hole, all these different things. But at the elite levels, like it's never especially, well, maybe football a little bit more in hockey because you have a, a route that you run or whatever. But hockey, it's very reactionary. Um, and so like instead of running up to a cone and then laterally shuffling and then sprinting up, like I'll have two guys face each other. And it's like, you've got to read and react off of where he moves and like mirror drills and things like that, because it's, you have no idea when the stop is coming. So now it's way more like a game where you might be full speed. A guy's coming to hit you and you got to hit the brakes real hard based off of where he is in space and time, not the cone right there, you know, you're stopping in 10 feet and you're going to laterally shuffle for five yards and then go 10 yards again. It's like, well, I have to base my movement, my cadence, my speed, my acceleration, my deceleration off of something else, which is very reactionary, which is how sports are played. You know, the sports we're talking about, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Michael Zweifold actually posted on this a while back and it was really eye opening. It's like he he posted a video of uh, an athlete sprinting and stopping based off. It was like a mirror drill that you were talking about. They're both sprinting side by side. They sprinted and stopped 
Um, and the, the the front guy led, the second guy stopped, and he showed the second guy stopping based off that reaction. And he showed that same second guy stopping when the cone was there. And even the position was way different because every time that he was reacting and having to stop and he was, he was showing it, and it was like, because he was he was going off on this like injury prevention thing is like, they, they talk about how dangerous um, this reactionary stuff is and like why you need to, like for injury prevention, you need to do the cones and teach the deceleration. And he's like, you're not teaching real deceleration. Like this is the same athlete decelerating in two totally different ways. One with the cone, that's not real Two with the react with the person and how he's reacting. So like, is that time exposing that body to decelerating in the real way? Like if you're going to train them for injury prevention and train them for the sport, like you should train them in this way. And he was showing the body positions. And I thought that was one of the coolest things ever. Dude, you got to send me that post. Cause that's like, I do that drill. Like yeah. And yeah, at the beginning of the off season, like, yes, there are progressions and regressions to everything. We'll start with cones where they know it's coming, get their body used to that stuff again. And then we move to like the reactionary stuff. And I do that exact drill where guys are next to each other and it's both you, you go forward and then have to transition to back and then sprint. And the player on the left is the leader player on the right is the follower. But I also bring in the eyes because I'm so big on the eyes. You can only look forward. So <laughs> the player on the, it's really hard for the follower, but I'm fine with that. You, you have to use your peripheral vision, which we use in hockey nonstop all the time. You have to have good peripheral vision or you cannot play at the elite levels. So like, I can't look, turn my head. I have to use the side of my eye to do that. Um, and it's really, really hard and people get smoked, but like, yeah, if you're just stopping on a cone, it's, it's not real. Like you, you know, okay, I've got eight seconds till I get to that cone and I have to stop. You can start to break a little bit sooner. And it's like, that's not real. Yeah. And I, I love the eye base constraint that you mentioned. Also, one of the things you were talking about, the fireman's carrying the picking up dead body. We actually did that this morning in our workout. So that was kind of, of course you did. <laughs> I love <laughs> we, it. Yeah. We work on that contact rep stuff all the time. All that's right, coach. Awesome. I, I know you have to go here pretty soon, but the, one of the things that, um, that I did want to talk to you about before you go, I think we crushed the physical part of it. That, that was awesome. I, I got so many nuggets there is, drawing it all the way back to the beginning. And there's something that I want to, I, I like talking to coaches like yourself that you have a successful gym and you have a successful business model. Like, you like that. That's one of the biggest things I get a question about now is like, how do you build a successful gym? How do you build a successful business model? And you talked about how you went from two clients to 13 clients, to 33 clients to a hundred. What was that big jump for you? Like 33 clients to a hundred, 13 to 33 is big jump, but 33 to a hundred and then a hundred to 300. Like, and I, I understand that exponential growth is huge as well, but like, what was that massive jump for you? How did you take that jump business wise? How did you build out the gym to like the business it is today? Yeah. When I did that, I didn't have social media either. Um, which for me is like, looking back, it was, it was way more impressive um, because obviously you can, you can be putting out info all the time and unlimited people can see you now, um, which has allowed my growth on my online training to, to really like, that's really been uh, a, a huge driver of revenue for myself since I started that during COVID. Um, uh, number one is I never said no to anybody when I started. And, you know, some people say, oh, keep it high ticket, keep it low ticket. I say I, I took everybody. Didn't matter what level you are. I took everybody and I worked my freaking ass off. I didn't care if you were the worst player in St. Louis or the best player in the NHL. I treated you the exact same way. Um, I also went from only doing one on one. My goal was like, I only want to train athletes one on one. I quickly realized that I will die a young death uh, from heart attack because I will not be able to feed myself or my family. I wouldn't even be able to afford supplements if I, if I keep doing one-on-one. -on -one. So I changed my business model after year 
I, I think it might have been year three when I made that that the biggest jump there. Um, I switched. I, I started telling uh, clients, "Hey, you know, one on one, it's by year th- by, by year four. I think I was sixty dollars for a one on one. So I went from twenty five to sixty over the course of those couple years, three four years. Um, but then I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna die. I'm not making enough money, and I there's not enough time in the day. I can't reach enough people. I'm not making a big enough impact. So I said, okay." If it's one-on-one, it's 60, but if you bring a buddy, it's going to be 50 for each of you, each session. And the first session you bring a buddy, that session for you is free. And if you bring a new buddy every week, guess what? It's a free session for you every week, however much you want. And so that year I did two-on-one. And then the next year I was like, okay, I'm only taking four-on-one. So I said, I'm only taking four-on-one. And I said, okay, well, like usually my price is 60 for one-on-one, but for four-on-one, it's only 40. So at the end of every week, and I make my clients come four days a week. Like I don't, I don't allow back then I allowed three. Now I only allow four. And I train 130-ish guys a day, Mondays and Mondays and Tuesdays. And then Thursday, Friday, it's a hundred. Um, and uh, Wednesdays, it's like some businesses I work with in town and some family and stuff or whatever. Um, but uh, uh, so it, it was like, I could, I could say to them, you know, oh, well, if you come four on one, you're saving $20 a session. So by the end of the week, you're getting a free session basically than if you know, whatever. Um, and then the next year I went to six on one and then eight on one. And now it's like 20, like I literally, my gym is bumping in the summer and, uh, for everything we talked about. And, and I also think that I've been able to scale that way. Cause I did it slowly. That's not sexy. That's not fun. But by me doing one-on-one for like two years or whatever it was, and then two-on-one for a whole summer, and then four-on-one for a whole summer, and then six and eight-on-one for a whole summer, and every year it kind of gradually got more, I had four months to five months every year to learn the kinks and get the kinks out of, well, what's the difference between one and two? And then what's the difference between two and four and four and six and four and eight. And by slowly, gradually doing that, I was lucky. I had a good paying job as a pro athlete. So like, I didn't need the money. It's a little different for me than probably other people where I could slowly learn this stuff and, and get better and grow every year. So it's slowly built and built and built. And then now it's, it's, it is what it is, but it took 11 years to get there. I've been doing this, I think 12 years now. Um, so yeah, just the slow growth and then incentivizing clients by telling them, Oh, well, you bring a buddy, it's free for you. And then the other thing was, I was like, because I didn't have social media, um, I I just, my advertising was the work that, that they did. So if they were, they, they all, all of my, like, I just, they all got better. They all got fucking better. And so everybody, every year would be like, Timmy, what did you do over the summer? Oh, I trained with Lavecchio. And then that person's parents would call me. Hey, I know you trained Timmy. Like, can I get a little Johnny in? And then every year it just kept growing and growing and growing word of mouth. When I retired five years ago, that's when I got um, social media. And now I use social media to just show what I do. Like, and, and the first three years of social media, I sucked. I was awful. I, I was self-conscious. I was constantly thinking, what are my old teammates thinking about this? This is embarrassing. I never showed myself. I never talked on my phone. I don't, I don't like that stuff, but I came to a point where I said to myself, look, I don't do anything in my life half-assed. I never have and never will. If I'm going to actually be on social media and I'm going to use it to try and grow my brand and my business, like do it. Don't, don't be a puss, like do it, do it 
Stop being self-conscious. Do it. People made fun of me for carrying a water jug around everywhere when I was growing up. People made the guys would rip on me when I'd bring turkey in my pocket to the bar when I was a pro because I didn't want to miss a meal. I did that every time I go to the bar. I had turkey lunch meat in my pocket and I'd just be eating it, talking to girls at the bar. So I'm like, yeah, I got to stay anabolic. (laughs) So I'm like, stop, like do what you did the rest of your life. Put yourself out there. And the more I do that, the more people reach out to me. Okay. Can I come in for a session? Hey, can I try? try your online training. Can I do this? Can I do that? And um, so just believing in my product and constantly, I do stuff for free all the time too. I did. Now I don't really have to, but like I, I gave free teams to come in town, asked me to come and speak to their team about training mindset. Yep. I'll be right there. Every I have given away at least a hundred thousand dollars worth of free sessions, free speeches, free online training during COVID when, when all your mom and dad got, got, they're not working here. Here's my program for free. You know, next year, if they're working again, you can pay for it like that type of thing. Cause I truly just want to help people because I know that what I do works and I like helping people get better. So yeah, that was a lot long winded answer, but it's kind of a lot of different things at once. I'd say, no, I, I, it needs to be a lot of different things at once too, because like that, that that's one of the things that I love your story. It's like, it's, it's real. Like you hear a lot of these people talk and it's like this clean cut, like you said, low ticket, high ticket, like market this way, cold. Like, it's like, yeah. man, like you have, like, you have no idea. Like you, that's not <laughs> like, that's not at all. Like I started this, I was like, well, first when I started in the field, I was like, I was just going to be a college strength coach. And I was like, oh, that's definitely not my route. I hate this. Like, I'm definitely not going to do that. And then I was like, I'm just going to train people in person. I was like, okay, I like this. Um, but like, it was kind of like that money aspect. And I started reading some, how do I scale this? How do I do this? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do the online stuff, but I kind of hate the online stuff. Like, I don't know about this. And I was like, that, that's, that was just bullshit. Like, and then like the messy process of like, okay, what do I like? You talked about eliminating the kinks. I think that's so massive in like the business world. It's like, they they're like, uh, I have so many friends that are like wanting to get into this or wanting to do this. And they like ask all the answers. like, it, you just do it, just do it. And you'll eliminate the kinks as you go. And like, yeah, I, I can learn from you. Like I learned from you. You're ahead of me. Like before I start, like, okay, like I don't have to do the one. Jeff DeFranco was the guy that probably told me is like, don't do the one-on-ones, like start with the group setting. So I was able to like eliminate that shipwreck and then start with the group setting because somebody already told me, but like we started in the group setting and there's still so many kinks I got to work out. How do, how do I make this work? How do I balance this out? How do I like not be a slave to my own business? And that, that that's part of it. It's like you talk about there's a lot there. It, it, there's a lot there because there is a lot there. And it's not this clean cut like template that you can do. It's like you got to do it and you're, you're going to work through your own kinks and understand what you like to do. Like, do you like the online stuff? Do you like the group training? And maybe you do. Maybe uh, Ben Bruno is a guy that does one on one stuff. Like maybe that is your passion. That's what you love doing. But you can't you're the only one that can figure that out. Yeah. You, you have to love what you're doing. That's first and foremost. I friggin' love being in the gym. Uh, and I also, I don't love authority. Uh, I don't like people telling me what to wear, what time to be anywhere, how to, how to act. I don't like that. So I was like, I have to be successful at this. I have to, there's no other. And I saw your post. I think it was last week that you were sleeping in your freaking gym. And I was like, dude, like, I love that. I, I got divorced the year that I retired built a brand new, beautiful house, had to sell it, you know, had to do all these things, uh, super hard time, moved back in with my parents during that time to try and sell my house. Cause I didn't want to be in there while people are looking at it. And I'm just like retired from playing pro hockey. I'm, I'm still learning like how to do this business full time. I had never done it full time. And, you know, so I'm just like, just any opportunity, I don't care what if somebody says they want me to train them. Yep. 
here, here's my schedule. Find a way. Uh, you, oh, you don't know. Okay. Here free session on me. Come in. I'll show you what I do. I have never do my client retention rate is it's, it's almost hundred percent over 12 years. It's literally almost 100% over 12 years because I'm obsessed with this and I will find a way for you to want to be in my gym. And, and I want to learn everything about every client. I need to know what buttons to push for them. Uh, I, I want to learn about psychology so I can get more out of each person and not treat them all the same. Everybody's not the same. So like what, what I can do for you to push you is not the same what I can do to push you. So I need to learn that stuff. So every day I, I'm walking through the room of 20 to 24 division one hockey players. And I got to know what to say in his ear and his ear and his ear. That's all going to be different to get them all to be their best today so that they play better, you know, because a, I want them to play better first and foremost, and then B because the better they play, the more players come to me that are at that elite level, you know, and that's who I want to work with. So it's, it's, there is no right answer. I've done so much for free. I failed a million times. I've, I've done things wrong a million times and it's just fail forward. I don't, you know, just constantly do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I don't care. I'll keep trying and I'll find a way to get better. And then I'll just keep doing it. Yeah, it's it's that give more be more mindset that that's yeah. like making it pay off. Like I love that. Uh, and one of the things before we end is like that free session thing. This is the one that I, I want to go on a little rant here for the coaches. It's like the people that are shitting on free free sessions and going through. It's like your sessions suck then because the retention rate, man. Like I'm not saying everything has to be free, but like if you can't give a, a single free session and like worry that that athlete's like you talk about the retention rate. I have never brought an athlete in for a free session where they haven't signed up. Like it's like yeah, like it, yeah. It, 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 to me, but it's like, almost and, like a prove it mentality to me. It's like, and, and how about this too? Like, I think a lot of people just in the world, if they're going to give away something for free, they give it away half-assed. I look at it as the biggest tryout I've ever had. Yeah, I don't same. care who, dude, I don't care who it is. If you've never been in my gym before and it's day one, I don't care if I slept an hour. I'm this isn't healthy, but I'm slamming six coffees. I'm coming in with the best playlist. We are going to be buzzing. I'm going to make you have fun. I don't care what you're good at, what you're not good at. I'm going to find a way for you to have the most enjoyable experience, work things you've never worked before, do things you've never done before, get uncomfortable, but like doing it so that you want to be with me for the rest of your life. Like that is my goal. And I think too many people, when they do something for free or they do, they're, they're obligated to do this speech or whatever they're uh, i gotta go do this thing and it's like dude i'm in my car on the way there like it's the stanley cup game seven like i'm <laughs> yeah. i'm like raging like okay i gotta be my best today you know and like i, I don't know it's for me it's worked and i i just think more people get more be more man that's what it comes down to i guess yeah that's fucking awesome coach well coach <laughs> this, this was amazing thank you for being on thank you for taking the time to do this appreciate it brother thank you guys for listening keep chopping wood Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.